is, I mean, the things that I think, I mean, I'm, you know, I, the kind of, I was politically raised in the labor movement. So, I mean, <laughs> the kind of ways that we get there is with collective action. Right. And I mean, I mean, in the kind of campaigns that we've seen be effective against YouTube are often the kind of resistances that we see that come from um, tech workers, but also.
Hi. Whoa. Wow. Uh, welcome. Thanks for tuning in to the weekly review uh, with Roman. Today it is March 12th, 2021. Start off with some music. The first song was by Clap Your Hand, Say Yeah with a song called Thousand Oaks. And then we heard a band called Japanese Breakfast with Be Sweet. Thought I would start off on uh, some upbeat music. Uh, as we get into the news, we are broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio, which sits on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone people. Uh, known to some folks here as San Francisco. For more information, please go to weeklyrev.org and click on our land acknowledgement tab. And we've got a lot of resources, places to donate, maps, uh, news sources, as well as much more information. So again, weeklyrev.org. Got some news and upbeat music to counteract the uh, sometimes depressing and scary news. However, as always, or at least most of the time, because it's hard to believe in absolutes except for Nazis who all should be shot, in my opinion. I don't know why we're still fucking talking about this. Anyway, starting off with that. Some of the news is going to be a little bit depressing. However, as usual, per usual on the show, even though there's a lot of terrible things happening and there's state violence, and uh, it seems like the fascism is continuing to creep in, despite that there's a person with a D next to their name um, in the White, White House. <sighs> hmm. uh, there are lots of ways that folks can show up, and that's part of what this show does. In addition to playing some upbeat music, uh, there are so many ways for folks to uh, push back against, especially the false narrative that I think is perhaps one of the biggest reasons things are the way they are, is the way the media and politicians act to spread uh, mistruths and to back corporations and police and military and prisons and other institutions that cause great harm to people. So this little show here um, provides ways for folks to show up, whether it's donating money if you have some, whether it's uh, sharing information and news that one might not have normally heard, inspiring conversations to happen amongst you, the listeners, and your friends and neighbors and coworkers and folks in community. Also, we share teach-ins that are coming up, some rallies, as well as uh, just some more information about what's happening in, in other places that one might not know about, including myself. So I'm also educating myself as I do this. And it's uh, the very least uh, one can do here. And also, in the meantime, in the between time, sharing some music that's makes me feel good so uh it's a good reminder that there's beauty out there there's art and there's so many folks out there creating uh just beautiful beautiful pieces of work i think and uh it's important to honor that i've got some news articles that are coming up and also a short video and oftentimes i do interviews on the show and i wanted to do a play a short video first of all um, due to a lot of the transphobic laws or bills that are being pushed in various states across the country and I was talking to my therapist I guess I might, might as well rant here I haven't sat down yet I am I have to say pretty proud of myself in that I, uh, I showered this morning I had breakfast I meditated and I journaled and I got here on time it's very rare that uh, even three of those things happen so uh, I think that's pretty awesome okay just the with the transphobia and of course it's just people in positions of power nothing new the they finding different groups to to, to scapegoat and to 
create a lot of false fears around. And in this case, it's trans kids. And I don't, it's really fucking hard to sit with. There's no way one can sit with it. The fact that there are adults out there who are using their power and privilege. These are elected officials who decide what are they going to do with their time? They're going to ban kids from getting health care. That's what they're fucking doing. It's absurd. It's disgusting. Uh, these people need to be stopped. I could go on and on, but just it's it's so fucking disgusting that this is what people are doing, and there's no excuses to be made. I try to be quite forgiving, and I do believe people can change. I recognize we all have bad days. We all make mistakes. We're human. We there is always more to learn, and also if you're in a position of power and you're using your time and energy to make laws that felonize uh, people who treat youth, trans youth. There is no, I, I find there to be no redemption for people like this. I just don't. Perhaps that's uh, pessimistic. Um, it's just really fucked up when there are so many folks who are incarcerated simply for being poor or doing work to survive that's somehow criminalized in this country or for drug use or sex work. These folks are, are people who have been forced to plead guilty even though they're not. People who are in jail cells while there are fuckers who are war criminals who are running amok, people passing laws to legislate over other people's bodies. It's a quite the... it's quite obvious that prisons don't work because it's full of folks who don't need to be there oh did i totally go down in mood to counteract all the upbeat music granted the first song was about uh school shootings and stuff so or at least mass shootings so maybe uh maybe there's not that much to maybe i should start singing the news in like an upbeat in an upbeat tune maybe that would help just get it out there and again, uh, I you know when I try to when I listen to podcasts, oftentimes it's not necessarily super, uh, ooh, depressing. However, um, this is just trying to be honest about how I see the world and how it's going, and I know I'm not alone in that. So perhaps folks aren't listening right now. Maybe in the future people will, and they'll be like, "Yeah, that's that's about right," and that's what's going on, and. Can't change it until we name it. So that's that's what's going on. There are fascists at the helm, and they need to be stopped. And this is me with meditating and journaling this morning. So, yikes. Also, a big fuck you to all the drivers who don't know what the fuck bike lanes are, or the slow streets. Uh, I have a very quick bike ride over here to the studio, and the number of times I was almost hit and or... The cars just fucking parked in bike lanes is just obscene and ridiculous. And it just makes me so fucking angry. So there's that. And I recognize, uh, it just, I get that some folks need to drive, absolutely, but there's a lot of folks who drive just because they can and they don't fucking care and they don't follow traffic signals or signs or, and it's, it makes, it's fucking dangerous. And a number of bicyclists and pedestrians have been killed by drivers who don't fucking care or are not paying attention. 
And I get it. Like, I'm not at my best right now either. But you know what? I don't get behind the wheel. If you think you're probably not a good driver, don't drive. It's that simple. Okay, this is my anti, it's not even anti-drunk driving, it's anti-sober driving, it's anti-driving driving. And again, for folks who need to drive, I, that's, I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about just the whole automobile industry that has <sighs> totally fucked over public transportation, fucked over bicycles, and infrastructure that would be helpful for bicyclists. The fact that you can get to so many places by driving and not by walking or by bicycle or by public transit is just... Makes me so fucking angry. Anyway. And it's something that's uh, just so normalized. Chevron had a, a leak. Another, I get another one. This is over in Richmond a few weeks ago. And again, it's it's not just that driving is dangerous and isolates people. It's the the oil and gas industry. And it makes me so fucking angry. Anyway, that was that was part of my uh, rant this morning. Part of it, will there be more? I usually, yeah, okay, sure. So we've got a lot of news articles to get to, and I'm going to do my best to start with them uh, very shortly. So I'm going to start off with this short documentary I wanted to play, the audio version of, and you can find the video or we've shared it on Twitter, and it's from them.us. And we're also going to share this on our page. If you go to weeklyrev.org, I'm going to continue to plug it. I've been updating this website after each show. So some of the links that we talk about, even some I don't get to, we provide links to stories and as well as videos if we just play the audio for them and uh, ways to also just for folks to share links. So this is from them, which is a website, uh, them.us. Though Time Magazine announced the transgender tipping point in 2014, ha ha ha, the ensuing uh, four years have made clear that there is much work to be done in the struggle for trans justice. Visibility is critical in the fight for our survival, and it was and still is transformative to see Laverne Cox on the cover of a major publication. But trans and non-binary people are still facing record rates of interpersonal violence and discrimination, as well as continued attacks from federal, state, and local governments. When it comes to -to day-to-day life, so many trans people are confronted with indignities and discrimination everywhere they turn here even in san francisco too it happens it just happened to me uh earlier this week uh from a healthcare provider wow okay i will be naming names at some point in the future uh the aclu has curated a series of three short films highlighting the discrimination that trans people face at school at work and within the criminal legal system what emerges from these three stories is the painful and relentless fight of the trans community to be seen uh, not seen in a sense of literally viewed on screen, but embraced and understood in our full humanity. One of the short films in the ACLU series follows Kai Shapley, a six-year-old girl in Texas who is transgender. In the film, Kai calmly colors in her home. We hear anti-trans Texas lawmakers via voiceover. We don't, ugh, I'm, ugh. I can't even, uh, I can't even repeat their quotes because it's so transphobic and stupid. And I'll, May I might may or may not have to like mute it out just because I don't want any of their voices to be get any more amplified, even if it's in context. Ugh. 
Opponents of trans equality use the specter of predatory men invading women's spaces to galvanize fear of trans existence. The very premise of anti-trans rhetoric, though, is that we are not real and that we don't deserve equal rights, or any rights for that matter. Those who would deny us our rights and dignity go to great lengths to enforce the idea that our gender is determined at birth by chromosomes or genitals, and that any internal truth about our gender that we dare to claim, embrace, or embody is always a fraud perpetuated, perpetrated on the world. That is not so. On screen, we see a little girl ask to simply live in a society that is fighting to deny her that chance. And so the article goes on a little bit more, and let's, um, I'm going to share this video. Also, as a note on the video, they do have um, captions. So this closed caption, so you can, uh, if you are, yes. Okay, oh, it's a lot, it's a lot. So I am going to play this, and again, um, we'll be sharing it on our website so one can find it there. So tell me more about school. What about the people in your class? Are they nice? I want to apologize for saying something awfully rude for no reason. So what do you think when we were getting our backpacks to go and my teacher said, girls get your backpacks. Um, this girl named Lucy, she said, no, you're not a girl, you're a boy, which made me upset. Then another girl, she just shouts out, Kaida boy, um, and I say, no. And I yell right back at her when I say it. You did? Mm-hmm. So the only bathroom that she's allowed to use at the school was locked again. So she can't even use the nurse's office? It's gonna take too long to get there because that's all the way at the front. Yeah. Of the school. It's been a rough school year. But your friends take up for you, right? That's good. I'm glad you have friends. Now we wait. You think we need one more coat of this? No, that looks pretty good. It's fine to me. We might could do another coat. Yeah. Uh, no, it's fine. It's fine to me. <laughs> okay. My earliest memories of Kai from the very beginning was this child just acted very different than my other boys. Miss Ashley, you know what the best thing I can do to cats is? I'm not just a cat lover, but I can make the cats love me. <laughs> the kind of baby that Kai was was very similar to my daughter. All the little pieces were there very early. I just, I didn't know what it was that I was looking at. 
buy a garden bow for you. When you wear it, when you have it on your hair, you water some, um on it, and it turned into a plant, a plant bow, and it grows flowers when you put water on it. I wish I could have that bow. By two and a half, three years old, everything was very feminine. By three and a half, Kai was saying, you know I'm a girl, mommy. You know I'm a girl. The Bible is for everyone to know to be kind and loving and caring. Isn't that my t-shirt? Yes, I'm using it as a dress for sleep. Well, that's my t-shirt. I'm going to sleep in it as a dress. a way better girl mom <laughs> and Corey didn't ever want her hair fixed like this she wasn't as girly as you are well now she might be now she might be we just don't know we just don't know where's your bible i had it my pink bible i have two bible i have three bibles isn't that amazing I have three Bibles. What's your favorite book in the Bible? Esther. What's your favorite book in the Bible? Esther. Uh-huh, E-S-T-H-E-R. Why is Esther your favorite? Cause, um, there's loads of things. Her pretty necklace, she became queen because of her story, because she helped people, and let's see, that's basically it. <laughs> praying. You. It's not my turn. Yes, it is. Good morning, Lord. This is the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Yes, we will. We ask that you... And pray for Donald Trump to be nice. We always pray for Donald Trump. And Lord, we do pray for our leaders. We ask that you remove the wrong people when people that I've known and served with in church for many years who uh, know that I love the Lord to suddenly because my daughter was born transgender they suddenly think that I've you know allowed Satan to take over my family um, so I guess it's just being watchful to see which side of civil rights history my church is gonna be on. I think that that's 
something that I have to be mindful of as well. I was born, I was leading a ministry at Lakewood Church, leading Bible study every Saturday night, attending church and serving as a prayer partner every Sunday. I was a straight ticket Republican, a tea partier. My beliefs about the LGBTQ community were that, you know, we needed to help them see the truth to save them from going to hell. I remember even thinking before Kai was three that I think this kid might be gay. And I thought that that could not happen and that would not happen. We started praying fervently. Prayers turned into Googling conversion therapy and how can we implement these techniques at home to make Kai not be like this. Putting her in timeout for acting like a girl, putting her in timeout for stealing girl toys, spanking her, really spanking her, every time she would say, you know I'm a girl. No matter what the consequences, she's persisting in the fact that you should already know she's a girl. When Kai was about four years old, she prayed to go home and be with Jesus and never come back. Father God, Jesus' name, help my friends and family be kind, be good, love each other, and be and courage and love. Amen. My kid was praying to die. All of the information and data that I had read about transgender children having a 41% risk of attempting suicide came flooding back and I realized that I had a four-year-old that was begging the Lord to let her die. I had a four-year-old who would rather go be with Jesus forever than stay here and have to live as a boy one more day. Let me think about it, okay? There's still somebody on the back porch. 
talk to Miss Gladys when I get back. We will talk about it, okay? <laughs> All right. Literally, my love is so strong for cats that I make them love me so much that sometimes they even follow me. I'm going to raise thousands of cats. Fill up my whole house with kitty cats. Tell me about your school. Wow. They do do something mean to me sometimes. Who? The school. So, Miss Walker, the principal, um, her boss says, I cannot use a woman's bathroom, so I have to use a bathroom that, um, just to make me feel good, they put two girls to go with me, and that still doesn't help because, um, I sometimes have accidents because um, the door locks when it closes. And people, um, they, they just put a magnet to keep the door open. That doesn't work. People keep stealing magnets for their teachers. And I'm like, holy Jesus. And then they do nothing about it. And so I have accidents a lot. Some of us, that, that happens to us. Um, we have accidents. And how do you feel when you have the accident? I feel embarrassed. And it shouldn't happen. And it wasn't my fault. It was the principal's boss's fault. Not mine. Because other girls get to go to the woman, the girl's bathroom. And I don't get to. Mm -hmm. And I'm a girl, so I should go to the girl's bathroom. Just minutes ago, the Texas House voted for a so-called bathroom bill. The bill would require students to use the bathroom that corresponds with the gender on their birth certificate. It's not a controversial bill, and it doesn't impact our economy, so we just want to get it right. It's, and it's just Texas values. You deserve your privacy. You deserve your dignity. You deserve your comfort and your safety when you go to the ladies' room or the locker room or the girls' bathroom. In the beginning, we were going to be stealth. No one was going to need to ever know that Kai was trans. And it actually went pretty well at the school. I felt confident. And then the bathroom bill chatter started. And then the superintendent notified Kai's school that that is not the way it would happen. And then I get the phone call from the school saying, Kai will have to use the boys' restroom. We need a law that protects the privacy of our children in our public schools. I need to know that I can have the same expectation of privacy no matter where I am in the state of Texas. It's just common sense and common decency. We don't want men in women's ladies' rooms. This had nothing to do with equal rights. I got the phone call from the school early in the morning on a Thursday. By the evening, the same day, I was sitting at Fox News doing an interview. By the next Tuesday, just a few days later, I was speaking at a press conference in Austin. 
to the LGBTQ community, I want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for every time that I plucked a Bible verse out of context and I hurt you with it. I was a hateful reflection of a loving God. Please forgive me. This is the face of a transgender child in Texas. And I want you to look at this little girl, my little girl. Do we as a state really want to force her into a men's bathroom? Kai is the strongest willed person I have ever known. I don't think any one thing could have broken me. If Kai wasn't such a strong-willed little kid, I would have broken her. Me being broken put me together better, but if I had succeeded at breaking my daughter, the statistics say that it wouldn't have turned out well for her. When my mom let me start being a girl, it was more than amazing. It was gorgeous. It was amazing. The best thing that happened to me so far in my life. All right, so again, this video came out in 2018 um, called uh, Kai Shapley, a trans girl growing up in Texas. And this was re released as a way to remind folks what's going on right now in terms of all of the bills that are being written around the country in many states to uh, criminalize healthcare for trans youth. And on the previous shows, we've provided links as well as toolkits that ways for folks to contact lawmakers and get the word out. So please do check out weeklyrev.org for that. I'm going to take a bit of a music break, and apparently our stream is down, so uh, you'll be listening to this in the future. So here's some more music, and we'll be back in a bit. Shame on me, fool me twice It's just a 
Superstar with Sleight of Hand, and then Kid Dakota with Homesick. Next up, we're going to stay on the topic of people who think they have the right to tell people what to do with their bodies. It's the American way. Uh, This is from Ms. Magazine. You can still find it at uh, MsMagazine.com. Danger ahead. States will be the main abortion battleground in 2021. And this was written on March 3rd by Elizabeth Nash. This year, anti-abortion lawmakers have been introducing new legislation in overwhelming numbers. In the past decade, there has only been one year with this level of action so early in state legislative sessions. And this report originally appeared in the Guttmacher Institute. It has been republished with permission. 
State lawmakers entered 2021 with numerous urgent priorities, the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and the vaccination rollout, the struggling economy and the resulting reduced tax revenues and budgets, efforts to address systemic racism across multiple issues from healthcare to criminal justice reform, post-census political redistricting, and shoring up the institutions of democracy, among others. Despite all of these challenges, legislators have also made time to focus on restricting abortion rights. In the first two months of the year, eight abortion restrictions and bans have been enacted. I'm going to fucking sit down for this. I, ugh. All right. In uh, South Carolina, there's a ban on abortion as early as six weeks of pregnancy. This ban has been temporarily blocked in court. In Kentucky, there is a law that grants additional authority to the state's attorney general to penalize and close abortion clinics. In, and again, these are like fucking healthcare clinics. So again, they're looking to cause harm, great harm for people. In Arkansas, there's a program with two restrictions. It requires those seeking an abortion to call a state-supported hotline for information on pregnancy, resources, and services. Abortion providers are also required to document a hotline call in the patient's medical records and with the state. Um, and also, oftentimes, uh, these states would provide uh, misinformation for people. In Ohio, there's a ban on the use of telemedicine for medication abortion, which is fucking absurd. In Kentucky and South Dakota, there are laws that penalize physicians for not taking medically unnecessary actions for a fetus. So giving the fetus more rights than a human being who's alive. Great. Ugh. Despite the fact that both states have existing laws providing legal protections for a fetus delivered after an abortion. Wow. In Kansas, there's an initiative for the August 2022 ballot that, if approved by voters, would amend the Kansas Constitution to explicitly exclude abortion rights. This is, a, this is highly unusual. In the past decade, there has been only one year with this level of action so early in state legislative sessions. This was in 2017 when five abortion restrictions were enacted by the end of February. In 2019, a year that saw many states focus on abortion bans, only one measure was enacted in the first two months, a trigger ban in Arkansas that allows the state to automatically ban abortion if the U.S. Supreme Court overturns federal constitutional protections in Roe v. Wade. The 2021 legislative session is also shaping up to be reminiscent of the 2021 session, which had the highest number of abortion restrictions enacted in any year since Roe was decided in 1973. As in 2011, the November 2020 state-level elections resulted in solidifying Republican control in many state legislatures, like also like in 2011. State legislatures are currently confronting difficult and complicated issues. In 2011, the country was in the middle of the Great Recession and accompanying state budget crises. In 2021, states have even more on their legislative agendas. The attention on abortion should not come as a surprise. In just four years, then-President Trump confirmed more than 200 federal judges, nearly three in ten of all active federal judges in the United States, and three of the nine justices on the U.S. Supreme Court. The confirmation of Justice Amy Coney Barrett ugh, in October 2020 cemented a 6-3 conservative and anti-abortion majority. Like-minded state policymakers are eager to test the limits of what the new majority might allow on abortion bans and restrictions and have been laying the groundwork for a day when federal constitutional protections for abortions are weakened or eliminated entirely. 
a surge in new bills. So far in 2021, what a year it's been. Uh, Anti-abortion lawmakers have been introducing new legislation in overwhelming numbers. 384 anti-abortion provisions introduced in 43 states through February. These provisions come in many types and differ in their potential impact. Uh, there are These are designed to directly challenge Roe v. Wade and the U.S. constitutional right to abortion. Abortion bans include total bans, gestational age bans, bans on methods for, for providing procedural and medication abortion, bans on the reason for an abortion, and bans that would take effect if Roe were overturned. So far this year, 107 abortion uh Bans have been introduced, including 19 total abortion bans in 13 states. The South Carolina six-week abortion ban has been enacted into law, and other bans are moving through legislatures in Idaho, North Dakota, and Oklahoma. While abortion bans often garner the most attention because of their broad potential impact, various types of restrictions can also make abortion inaccessible, particularly when patients face multiple restrictions that together create logistical, legal, and financial barriers to care. Individually and together, restrictions violate the U.S. Supreme Court's undue burden standard that prohibits states from enforcing restrictions that place an obstacle in the way of a patient needing an abortion. However, in June, Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts indicated that he would welcome additional restrictions on abortion by state legislators as a way to undermine or eviscerate the court's current undue burden standard that protects abortion rights. Other anti-abortion provisions are designed to undermine constitutional protections by shutting down abortion providers. Measures to burden abortion clinics with unnecessary regulations have been introduced in 12 states and other restrictions enacted in Arkansas and Kentucky, with more legislation moving in Arizona, Indiana, and Oklahoma. Still, other anti-abortion measures try to undermine constitutional protections by interfering in the practice of medicine and the patient-provider relationship. More than 50 measures that would require inaccurate or misleading counseling, an ultrasound, or a waiting period before an abortion have been introduced in 21 states. Legislation that would require misleading information on the potential to reverse a medication abortion is moving quickly and has already passed the first chamber in Indiana, Montana, and South Dakota. One specific focus this year has been on medication abortion, a clear response by anti-abortion legislators to the push for broader telehealth access to that method during the pandemic. So far this year, more than a dozen measures have been introduced in 10 states. These measures take several approaches from banning the method entirely uh, to placing limitations uh, on provision by adding unnecessary counseling requirements. Two new types of restrictive legislation would prohibit mailing the medication to patients and potentially require a provider to con contract with another physician for any complication or would limit provision of medication abortion only up to nine weeks of pregnancy. Measures on this topic are already moving in Arkansas, Indiana, Montana, and Oklahoma. Even before any newly elect enacted abortion restrictions might be challenged in court, federal and state courts are already facing several dozen abortion-related cases to adjudicate. In broad strokes, these cases take two approaches. 
those that have the potential to overturn Roe v. Wade and those that could drastically weaken abortion rights in other ways. Any action by the U.S. Supreme Court to limit abortion rights will have the deleterious effects across the country, particularly for people who already have limited access to care and for those in the South, the Plains, and the Midwest who have already been hard hit by abortion restrictions. Cases challenging abortion bans at a certain point during pregnancy are intended to provide the Supreme Court with the opportunity to overturn abortion rights outright and are among those closest to reaching the court's docket. The court is currently considering whether to take one such case challenging a Mississippi ban at 15 weeks of pregnancy. Other cases on gestational age bans are pending with federal appellate courts, including cases from Arkansas, Georgia, Missouri, and North Carolina. On a related topic, the Kentucky Attorney General has petitioned the court to take on a case to take a case on the state's law that would ban the standard method of abortion used after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Cases on similar bans in Texas and Arkansas are currently at the appellate level. Cases on abortion restrictions, which are more likely to undermine rather than fully eliminate abortion rights, are also moving through the court process. These cases may seem to have less effect on those challenging abortion bans, but if some of these restrictions are upheld, they can close clinics and keep patients from obtaining needed care. For example, cases challenging fetal tissue disposal regulations in Arkansas and Texas are pending in federal appellate courts, and a case on Kentucky's requirement that an abortion clinic have an emergency transfer agreement with a hospital is also pending with a federal appeals court. Despite the dangers of new state laws and harmful court decisions, the news is not all grim. State lawmakers supportive of abortion rights have also stepped up over the past several years to enact laws that protect abortion rights and access. Colorado, Delaware, Illinois, Massachusetts, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, and the District of Columbia have all adopted abortion protections and most also repealed pre-Roe abortion bans. Currently, 14 states in D.C. have these protections in place. Notably, these states are primarily in the Northeast and the West Coast, leaving more, most of the middle of the country unprotected. At the end of February, New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham signed legislation that repeals the state's pre-Roe abortion ban. This is significant because having pre-Roe abortion bans on the books leaves open the possibility of enforcing them in the future if the U.S. Supreme Court were to overturn Roe. In New Mexico, the law only allowed abortion in cases of life endangerment, severe health conditions, rape, and incest. With President Biden in the White House, a House majority supportive of abortion rights, and an evenly divided Senate, there is also the potential for progress at the federal level. On its own, the Biden-Harris administration should take steps like vocally proclaiming its commitment to abortion rights and access for all, reviewing medically unnecessary restrictions on medication abortion, stepping up efforts to protect abortion providers and patients from violence, and rescinding regulations that expanded exemptions from providing or facilitating care based on religious or moral grounds for abortion and other reproductive health care. Congress should address concerns about the erosion of abortion rights by creating a federal statutory right to access abortion without medically unnecessary restrictions through the Women's Health Protection Act. And they provide a link to this. This piece of legislation would protect pregnant people's access to abortion by establishing federal statutory rights for providers to deliver and patients to receive abortion care without medically unnecessary restrictions and bans, adopting nationwide protections 
would dramatically decrease the number of legal barriers to abortion that patients face and set the stage for increasing access to care. Whew. All right. It's quite a, a lengthy article and also provides links as well. So we'll provide a link to it on our page at weeklyrev.org for today's date, March 12th. You can also find it directly at mismagazine.com. Gonna rest my voice for a moment, uh, play some more music, and we'll be back in a bit.
running wild through my mind that I can't sleep tonight. Running wild through my mind that I can't sleep tonight. Like a child, like a child, I have no place to hide. Running wild, seeing the wind and flying. Running wild, through my mind that I can't sleep tonight. In all the wild where I can't sleep tonight. I can't see you. Running wild, through my mind that I can't sleep tonight. In all the wild where I
day. Today, a really hard day. A really hard day. Today, I found out that the land behind my house, the one that you see in my videos all the time, where the horses that I give water to live, the land that gives me access to the beach, that land is being sold to a company that develops luxury apartments. You might have heard that Puerto Ricans are worried that our land is being bought up. And this is an example of that. This is private land, but it's also protected land. The government set it aside for agricultural purposes, and it's also supposed to be protected for its environmental value. But I happen to be doing a story about this before it hit so close to home, and everyone I talk to says those laws are not being respected, and that land that was supposed to be protected is getting developed. So I'm making this video not as a reporter, but as a Puerto Rican who's sad and scared that Puerto Rico is becoming a place where only the wealthy have access to our most beautiful natural resources. Hi, TikTok. Today has been a really hard day. Today I found out... Okay, pardon the uh, repeat there. Um, this is a video that was... Uh, Shared on TikTok and Twitter on March 10th, and you can find it uh, shared by at Moisturized Nerd, and we've shared it again on our page at weeklyrev.org, and you'll find it uh, under the March 12th, 2021 page. Okay, next up, uh, this is from the Prison Policy Institute. Um, or excuse me, the Prison Policy Initiative. I'm a little bit... Uh, uh, since finding out our streams down, I'm a little bit out of sorts and frustrated and disappointed. Anyway, I'm going to continue on. So you can follow uh, the Prison Policy Initiative on Twitter at Prison Policy, challenging mass incarceration and overcriminalization through research, advocacy, and organizing. And you can get email updates from them at prisonpolicy.org forward slash subscribe and also follow them on Twitter. This was a thread that they uh, shared on March 9th. There are better ways to respond to violence than locking people up for decades. Violence is cyclical, and with victims engaging in violence themselves, so resources should be redirected to disrupting the cycle over the long term. Thread. 1. People convicted of violence should be included in alternatives to incarceration. This includes probation, problem-solving courts, community-based programs. These mechanisms can help connect people with resources to address root causes of violence, like substance abuse. Two, communities should invest in violence prevention, not incarceration. And no, that doesn't mean more focused deterrence policing. More impactful programs include community safety strategies, public health approaches to violence, and interventions directed at youth. Three, take the cure violence model, which reduces the spread of violence using strategies associated with disease control, detect and interrupt conflicts, identifying those at risk, and mobilizing community change the results speak for themselves. Four, interventions in youth, like summer employment programs or behavioral therapy, have a major impact on violent crime arrests for youth. For example, the Chicago Choose to Change program reduced arrests for violent crime of young people by almost 50% with sustained results. Five, in order to dramatically reduce prison populations and make our community safer, federal and state legislators should reduce uh, reliance on aggressive policing and long sentences instead invest and instead invest in empirically proven prevention strategies and they provide an article here reforms without results 
and I will share a link to this thread on our webpage as well. I'm gonna go through one more uh, piece of info here, uh, and then we'll we're gonna play some more music. There's there's a lot going on. Okay, this is about ugh, there's I mean there's so much to get to, and again, just this a uh, small drop in the bucket, and this is a, a thread. Um, CBS Los Angeles reported on March 12th that Kroger says it will close three underperforming stores in Los Angeles after the passage of a $5 hero pay bump for grocery store workers, which is so fucked up. And this person you can find on Twitter at N at N W B T C W says, uh, this is a capital strike. The ruling class does this shit all the time, but it's never reported on as a deliberate and consistent pressure tactic. Like worker strikes are tactics. Tactics like this are how capitalists have pushed down wages and eroded workers' rights for decades. And then they share on in the thread, Los Angeles politicians will now have serious doubts about pushing for reasonable wage increases because losing local jobs will tank their career. Politicians will also know about this in whatever town Kroger goes to next, and they won't risk fighting for workers either. Kroger is a giant company. Shutting down a couple stores just means numbers shifting around in so many spreadsheets. But just so you know, there are older folks who have worked there for 30 years, people feeding their kids on those wages, people who need that job to pay for school. Whenever the ruling class does this kind of thing, it's blamed on the people who dared to demand more or didn't have any more to give up. That has to stop. If you're seeing the phrase capital strike for the first time, uh, the author says, I didn't invent it. Capital strikes are a real and well-documented tactic used by the ruling class to fight things like unions and taxes or to undermine whole national economies when people elect leftist leaders. So I am going to uh, post a link to this thread as well uh, from this poster. And now I'm going to play some more music. And uh, I bought some Dexter Gordon to uh, calm, calm down a bit. Thank you. 
hi and welcome back uh that was a band called the skate with uh me pequeño bogatir and before that we heard uh Calexio with minas de cobra for better metal and before that dexter gordon with don't explain the remastered version got some more music coming up and uh we're reaching the end of the program i know we got another half an hour or so however i'm a bit tired of talking perhaps you're like to hear other people's voices i know i sure would so i'm gonna just share some headlines well, again we'll post all the links at weeklyrev.org starting off there is a wednesday march 24th at 7 p.m behind the mask part two mental health crisis response and this is from this is going to be a zoom event uh from berkeley cop watch and um on January second, twenty twenty one, Vincent Bryant, a black unhoused man, was shot in the uh, was shot in the face at point blank range by the Berkeley police while experiencing a mental health crisis. Thankfully, he survived, but this police response is outrageous. Berkeley Cop Watch invites you, the Berkeley community, and I would imagine all folks, um, as the police have been violent uh, pretty much everywhere they go, uh, to analyze uh, footage of this incident and try to understand what went wrong. I think it's uh, that the police were fucking cold in the first place. Uh, we will be joined by a panel of mental health workers and activists to explore the question, what would mental health care and crisis response look like without police involvement? We will examine how mental health emergency response currently happens and the rising opportunity for alternative crisis response in Berkeley. We will also look at other communities already doing this work. Breakout groups will follow and community dialogue will be encouraged. In Berkeley, we have an opportunity to create structural change. This summer, the city council approved an initiative for a specialized care unit that would respond to mental health crises without police involvement. Now is the time to pressure the city of Berkeley to follow through on their commitment. The SCU must be well-funded so that it can actually be effective. The SCU must be dispatched without police. Since the police will not be responding to these incidents, funding must come directly from the police budget. There must be options for long-term care in addition to crisis intervention. Content warning, this event will discuss and show video of police violence against people of color and people living with mental health conditions. So this is gonna be a Zoom event on Wednesday, March 24th at 7 p.m. And they have a Facebook event page. So I'm going to share the link uh, of the Facebook uh, page on our page. So I'll be putting that up um, momentarily. Okay, also along the lines of police, uh, goodness. All right, so um, there's an article from uh, AsianJournal.com. Family takes legal action for death of a Filipino-American Navy veteran who died in Antioch police custody. This is written by Christina M. Oriel and Rachel Mandiola, and this came out on February 22nd of this year. A Filipino-American family in Antioch, California, has filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the city, arguing that their 30-year-old son died after a police officer knelt on his neck for almost five minutes. Angelo Quinto, a Navy veteran who was born in the Philippines, was suffering a mental health crisis on the night of December 23rd, 2020, prompting his sister to call 911 for help. But what transpired is renewing questions about whether police are equipped to respond to such episodes. I think we all know the answer to that. I was just hoping they could de-escalate the situation, Isabella Collins, Quinto's younger sister, said during a press conference on Thursday, February 19th. His family reported that his behavior changed after sustaining a head injury earlier last year, which led to him experiencing bouts of paranoia and anxiety. When police arrived at the house, Quinto was 
holding onto his mother, Cassandra Quinto Collins, and reportedly would not let go. A cell phone video shot by Quinto Collins presented by the family's attorney on Thursday shows him unresponsive on the floor after an officer pinned and subdued him with a knee to the back of the neck ugh, for nearly five minutes while another officer held him by the legs. The former sailor repeated, please don't kill me, as he lost consciousness. The video then shows a handcuffed Quinto turned onto his back with blood streaming out of his mouth. Ugh. And they have a photo from a press conference, and that press conference is also available on YouTube, and uh, it's available for folks to see as well. Attorney John Burris speaks during a press conference on Thursday, February 18th, and the photo is courtesy of uh, John Burris Law Office's the most tragic part of this is the joy George Floyd hold, said John Burris, a civil rights attorney representing the family. On the way down, he said, please don't kill me. And they muttered some words like, we're not going to kill you. But in moments, they had. Quinto never regained consciousness and was taken by an ambulance. He died at Sutter Delta Medical Center three days later. The family has filed a wrongful death claim against the Antioch Police Department and is seeking answers after minimal information has been released. The police department has not given an official cause of death and has not revealed the officers' names and whether they were wearing body cameras at the scene. Supporters and family rallied on Thursday for more humane treatment of people in mental distress, as well as for a ban on the controversial chokehold. This is wrongful death in the sense that their conduct based the death of this person, that their conduct caused the, the death of this person. This was a healthy person before, and now his life is gone, said Burris. Family members remembered Quinto for his love of video games, fishing, and scuba diving. He was medically discharged from duty on in 2019 because of a food allergy, the family told the San Francisco Chronicle. Quinto's sister said she has remorse about calling the police and that she hopes no one has to regret doing what they think is the right thing. With Quinto gone, they are seeking justice and changes to the police department, such as the end of the knee to neck restraint used on Quinto, as well as in other high-profile cases, such as in the death of George Floyd last year. I want to bring him back, but if we can't do that, we want justice in any way we can get it, Colin said. We want a new number to call, someone who can help us with mental health crises and other related domestic incidents. They're also calling for a mental health crisis response team that can respond to similar situations and body cameras and dash cameras for police officers in the department. The police department has not provided any new information regarding the case as of press time. Meanwhile, the Contra Costa district attorney is conducting an automatic and procedural investigation. It's sad and disturbing how this is such a just ubiquitous thing is how police are responding to mental health crises and they should by all means be defunded and abolished, honestly. That brings me to the next article, and this was from San Jose. San Jose demonstrators say no more killer cops like Derek Chauvin, and this was came out from this is uh, from IndieBay.org, which is a great resource. They have a calendar and lots of information there. In San Jose, this is on March 9th, in San Jose, a peaceful protest. And I know I did mention I wasn't going to be talking much. However, uh, just best way of getting this information out there at the moment. In San Jose, a peaceful protest to highlight the start of the trial for Derek Chauvin, the man accused of killing George Floyd. Members of Bay Area social justice groups came to speak as a collective voice for justice. At the end of the scheduled program, a smaller group moved into the intersection of Santa Clara Street and 4th to block traffic and bring attention to the cause. On March 8th in San Jose City Hall Plaza, protesters remembered George Floyd and called for justice for stolen lives. Monday marked the beginning of jury selection in the trial of Derek Chauvin for killing George Floyd. 
Rallies were planned nationwide. A protest in Grand Rapids, Michigan, led to eight arrests for various misdemeanors. And it's interesting how uh, uh, people protesting are the ones who get arrested and not these fucking cops who actually kill people. In Minneapolis, on the site of Floyd's murder, over 1,000 people gathered. Speakers in San Jose said that while convictions of police officers are rare, they hope that a jury will find the video of Floyd's death convincing and that Chauvin will be convicted. Alarmingly, there is a case similar to Floyd's in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, Navy vet Angelo Quinto died in the, an- the city of Antioch after a police officer uh, knelt on his neck on December 23, 2020. San Jose demonstrators spoke about the Antioch case and called for investigation into the death of a black youth, George Johnson, a student at San Jose State University who died under mysterious circumstances in 2008. The article also provides uh, images from this rally as well, and we will post a link on our site. Okay, 135. I'm going to take one more music break, um, and then we'll be wrapping up uh, after this. Why did 
Oh, ooh. <laughs> Sorry, ending like we're starting off with me being surprised by the sound of my own voice. Okay. We heard some music there. That was the uh, Ravenettes with Recharge and Revolt. Before that, Los Lobos with The Valley. And before that, Celeste with Strange. Okay, got a couple more news items here. We've um, I'm just going to share the headlines, and you can find it at weeklyrev.org. Uh, the first would be that Mihente is suing Clearview AI in California. The facial recognition firm is dangerous. The, its surveillance tool used by 24, over 2,400 policing agencies chills free speech and endangers immigrants, protesters, and communities of color. So we've provided a link there to a thread with all that info. And also, unfortunately, Uber is launching a new union-busting offensive in Canada. Uh, Prop 22 is fucking awful. Unfortunately, it passed here due to them spending millions of dollars uh, just spreading lies and workers are already suffering under this uh, new law. So unfortunately, they're also trying to push this to Canada. So hopefully we get the word out. There already was a rally earlier today in Toronto. Uh, just that this they're not to be trusted. Uber is not to be trusted. Okay, that's a great summary. I'm gonna gonna put a What's that saying? I've worn myself out. All right. So thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, If you'd like to, please do support Mutiny Radio. Find more information at mutinyradio.fm. And also, if you'd like to support this show, we've got a Patreon up at patreon.com forward slash weeklyrev. Find more information at weeklyrev.org. And that's about it. We'll see you next week. I hope everyone uh, does as well as one can. Uh, Take care, everybody.
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, Mutiny 